Welcome to the Providence Community Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Nathan Herndon. If you would like to stay connected with us, download our app, Providence Community, or visit our website, providencecommunity.org. Friends, Matthew chapter 5, I, that's a good place to start. I'm actually going to be in John chapter 17, and I'm, I'm actually going to really camp out then in 1 Samuel 17, uh, but uh, Matthew chapter 5 is a good place to start. We, uh, three weeks ago, we started a series called Life on the Hill, and this is really a series on a biblical community, and we've been saying that if you don't have community right, you can't have discipleship right, because discipleship happens in the context of community even more than it happens in the context of a classroom. When when, cla- when classroom teaching happens in the context of community coming from mo- mothers and fathers in the faith that actually know you, not just strangers that give you information, a discipleship can really happen, all right? But we have learned that discipleship is just information that you receive, and it is information, but it is much, much more than that. It must happen as a result of life together, of community. That is, God, that is how God designed it for us to grow to together and in him. Um, I know that we have a personal relationship with Jesus, but when we were saved, we were brought into a family, so it's not just your personal relationship with Jesus, it is the corporate relationship that we all have with Jesus. That's why your presence matters. That's why you just watching on TV is robbing us and ripping us off of something more that God has for us, and Jesus died so we would do this together. That's good theology, okay? Um, so we hear a lot about, it's just a personal relationship. My church is the woods. Well, the church is the called out ones, plural. And you got, and it's not you in the trees. You can meet with God in the trees. Uh, you know, that can be your secret place, all right? You and the chipmunks and squirrels and the whatever you find there. Listen, they, they, they all bow to Jesus, all right? And that can be your secret place, but it's not church, All right, so life on the hill is how do we do this together? And so we started out, Matthew chapter five, it's the Sermon on the Mount, it's Jesus' most famous sermon. Jesus says some astounding things. One of the things that he says is Matthew chapter five, starting with verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world, speaking to his disciples. You light the world up. He says, this is, this is wild. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house in the same way that a light lights up the world or a light lights up a house in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so three weeks ago, I, I, I made I had a two-point sermon, all right? And I said that the light that the church carries that lights up the world is not just good deeds like doing your devotions and being good boys and good girls and going to church and perfect this and perfect that. But the, the light that the church carries and it's supposed to shine is the way in which we treat one another. The world doesn't want to be a part of a disgruntled, disunified, toxic church. The, the world, when the world sees that, they say, no thanks, I've got, I'm a soccer mom. I see that all the time. I don't want to be, a, I don't want to give my life to that. The, what, the, what the church must do if we want revival is we must unite. And that is the light that shines in the world. Now, this is a glorious light because it shows the world how God is, what God is like. God doesn't treat us like other people treat us in their sinfulness. God treats us as a perfect, righteous, holy, loving, altogether good father. And that's what he's like. And that is what the church needs to exemplify. Imperfect as we will, we must more and more. It's glorious. And then John chapter 17, I was going to preach on this uh, today, and I, st- I studied my tail off for this one, for John 17. I'll have to roll this out, uh, I'll have to roll this out uh, in, in full length some other time, but Jesus is not just, is not preaching like he was in Matthew chapter 5. Now, now Jesus is praying to the Father. And so if Matthew 5 is the dream for the church that Jesus is preaching, now this is the intimate dream that Jesus has for his church that that he's praying to his dad, 
all right? And he says in John chapter 17, look at verse 11, and I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world speaking to his disciples. And I am coming to you, Holy Father, because he knows he is because he's about to die. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. Wow, guys, this is what glorifies God, that, that we are one like Jesus and his Father are one. And then verse 21, let's look at verse 20. Oh, let's go look at verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So I'm not just asking for the people within the sound of my voice, Jesus is saying, my, my disciples, but I'm asking for the disciples that will come after them as a result of, who, of their message. And listen, my friends, that is you and me. We are the ones that because of the faithful preaching and teaching the lives of the disciples who commissioned with God and made disciples, we are the beneficiaries of that. So Jesus is praying for us. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Listen, here's the prayer. Here's the cry. Here's the dream in Jesus' heart, verse 21, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world might believe that you have sent me. Wow. <laughs> so guys, we, we, we have denominationalized to the point that of almost impossible oneness. And now here, Jesus is saying, keep them Make them one like we are because the gospel message rides on that oneness. Whew. I get fired up about it. Verse 22, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them. Why, Jesus? That they may be one even as we are one. Look at verse 23. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one. Woo! Study this one. Very tempted to just unleash havoc in this area. But I really believe that there's something else that I, I must share um, before I, I, I really dig in uh, to this. I, I hope that you can see that Jesus' dream is a unified church. And a unified church points back to a unified God. And so, so that is, and I, I love this, but I do now want to depart from this passage and go to another passage. And it's actually, of all passages, the Holy Spirit surprised me when he laid this on me not too, too long ago. But it's, it's 1 Samuel chapter 17. All right, so I'm going to give you a moment to flip there. And this is David and Goliath. Chris Prey preached on this. Now, I don't know why we're talking about life on the hill and biblical community. And we're talking about a little guy that takes out a big guy. I don't know why. But there's something leading up to there that I think that we need to hear. But I want to tell you who is modeling unity really well in these days is the deacon team led by Chad Hearing. All right, now Chad is one of my new favorite people. He's humble and kind and wise unassuming, and he loves Jesus. And that is the kind of leader that, we, that must lead in the church. Uh, he's not on a hungry power trip. He is not trying to get places where he can insert his wisdom. He just wants to see God move. And here's something that as the deacons uh, have led us to, to give food to the Spring Grove School District, the church really poured it out. And I want to tell you, here's, this is the kind of testimony that the world needs, that, we, that, you know, that shines God in a dark day. But here's the testimony. As we gave food to the school, one employee got back to us and said this, I cannot thank you and the church enough for all of the food you donated to our backpack program. The amount is completely overwhelming. My shelves were almost empty and I worried about money and food for the remainder of the year. Thank you uh, for the remainder of the year. My, uh, my shelves are now fully stocked and I'm confident we will have enough food for this whole school year. Thank you, exclamation mark. Then, then they go on to say, thank you also for the Subway gift cards for the staff because we did that too. 
We blessed all the staff with Subway gift cards. It wasn't Chick-fil-A, it wasn't Panera, I know, it's Subway, that's okay. Um, they're, <laughs> listen, they're not making their bread out of yoga mat material anymore. So you can eat it, okay? We're blessing them. You have no idea how much that means to us. This year has been the most stressful and challenging year in my over 25 years in public education. That gift of appreciation and the cards that you sent make us feel so good. Man, I am glad <laughs> that our neighbors feel good as a result of the ministry of this church. And so that is the kind of testimony that we've got to have in the church, all right? People don't misunderstand kindness, usually, except in Hanover, <laughs> you know? Uh, you try to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, they swat it out and leave swearing. I don't know why, okay? But they, remember I talked about the, you know, the spirit of religiosity being killed. I think that's why, Pro possibly, possibly. It's a giant that's gonna fall. Um, and uh, if you all knew that, I, I'm not joking about that. You know, so remember when we first started out at Providence, we were um, where miscreations used to be. There's a room above that. Uh, unabashed used to be there, but before it was unabashed, it was uh, Providence. That's where we started uh, after my living room. And we, during Dutch Day, we decided to hand out water for free to people, cooled, chilled water for free to Hanoverians, and no one will take it. <laughs> so we drank a lot of water. It was very healthy days for us. Um, but uh, but we're just learning that, man, there's, there's a lot of stuff that is not like heaven yet, but that's why we're here. Amen. All right, so guys, today uh, I want to discuss, though, that what we're talking about, there's, there's the, the dream in Jesus' heart to have a unified bride, to have a church that, that uh, loves one another so well that it models what he is like to the world. But today, before we break into like a John 17 sermon, I've got to discuss um, giants that we will face when we try to walk in community. Uh, or trials that we are bound. Listen, it's going to happen that we will try to walk in community. And you say the word community and it sounds nice. Like everyone's getting along and everyone's happy, holding hands, skipping, feeding one another. You know, drink, yeah, just like we're, we're having a good time. It's community. But when you try to walk in community with imperfect individuals, that something happens where weirdness hits the fan eventually. And, and if we don't know that it's coming, and we don't know how to hand, handle it as a Jesus community, as a Jesus church, then what will happen is it, it will destroy the testimony of Jesus in the community. You know, that, that uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse, seven, verse 17, Jesus comes down off the mountain of transfiguration, and he finds that his disciples were down there and couldn't cast a demon out of a kid. And you know what Jesus says? He says this, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? All right? Now, I, I, the, the way that I take that is, is sometimes even for Jesus, it's hard to be in community. Like, I've taught you this lesson. Like, you know that this kind of demon only comes out through the word of God and prayer. You know this, and I'm gonna model it again. And even for Jesus, he's not angry, he's not frustrated, but there's a bearing with one another that Jesus has to operate in right there. All right? So if Jesus had to do this and walk in this, then we're definitely gonna have to do this and walk in this. And so that's why we're here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting with verse 24 and going to verse uh, 40. You all know this story. And I'm actually not gonna talk about David taking out Goliath. I'm gonna talk about the, the, what happened leading up to that moment. And you all know that, that David was the youngest of multiple brothers. Uh, the, all these brothers were warriors. Uh, they were out at battle uh, a giant named Goliath presents himself against the armies of Israel and he defies the armies of Israel and they're thereby defying the God of the armies. But, but Goliath, because of his size, intimidated the armies of God so much that they all retreated when they saw him. And then one day, Jesse, David's dad, sends David to the front lines to bring cheese and foods for his brothers. What a good dad. Cheese is a great love language, you know? <laughs> Says, bring these, bless your brothers. 
And when David gets there and sees that there's someone defying the armies of the living God and therefore, um, therefore defying God himself and dishonoring and defaming the God that he loves and treasures and that nobody's doing anything about it, David says, well, if nobody's doing anything about it, I don't care that I'm not trained. I love God enough to hit the field. And he starts saying, like, what's going to, is someone going to do something? What's going to be done for the person who actually does something here? And so everyone starts kind of answering uh, the question, but what, what, who hears about David's questions? Good questions, right? If there's someone defying God and his people, speaking smack about he who loves us with a never-ending love, and someone's talking about that person, like, we should start asking questions and not be the greatest with that. Our, our, our love and devotion for the fame in the name of God should triumph over our insecurities. And so here David is asking questions, whoa, 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 what, what's going on? This doesn't make sense to me. You're all trained soldiers and you're scared. And here I am, a shepherd boy, and I'm angry in a good way. And who hears about this, though, is it's actually verse 28. Now Eliab, David's eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? Well, the honest answer is, if he was actually asking a question, instead of making an angry statement, stealthily disguised as a question, <laughs> uh, he would have found out, well, I came to bring you cheese. Dad sent me. <laughs> but he's not asking a question. He's making a statement and shaming his younger brother who's doing what older brother should have been doing. So why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? This is, this is a derogatory thing. He's talking down. I'm here. I'm a soldier. You take care of a few miserable sheep. You know, it's the only sound you're good at. All right. You just lit, like you shouldn't be here. And then he goes on to say, I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. So, so here's Eliab, and, and he, Eliab, um, you know, in, in this context, is being a bad older brother, but in our context, he is representing a group of people that we must learn how to deal, deal with in community. Eliabs exist today, a lot. I know your heart. You didn't even ask. No, I didn't have to. I can smell it on you. I can smell it. I don't even have to ask you. You're not here because of obedience. You're here because it's interesting. The greatest quality of David, his heart, is what Eliab attacked. <laughs> this, is, this is crazy. So listen, we are going to have to learn to deal with Eliabs, but I'm just calling them older brothers. Older brothers in the church, older brothers in the body. Um, and in uh, Luke 15, the older brother in that wasn't saved. Yeah. All right? I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that Eliab, Eliab was a son of his father Jesse. They have the same dad, all right? So I'm not saying that uh, Eliab is not saved or older brothers are not saved in the church. I'm just saying that, that part in the sanctification process, there are some people that tend towards this type of horrible, gross uh, treatment of others in the church, and they may know Jesus, but Jesus' praise is just not done with them yet, and we get the privilege and pleasure of dealing with them, and we have to know how. Sometimes I've been this. I am an older brother. I've got a teeny little brother, Fifi's, and I've got a teeny little brother, Jordy. You know? Right? I know. You guys know these guys. That little, little brother, Jordy, is with YWAM and Kona. He looks more Hawaiian every day. And little brother, Fifi's, is mixing the live stream backstage right now. Like, you know what I'm saying? Can we thank him? Can we thank him? Right? I, I know how this is. I know how it is. When somebody comes and they're talking about slaying giants and you're just like, you're the youngest, you don't know, get wiser, just like, D stop bothering me, I know your heart. I know how it is to be, to tend towards that, but it's not right. And an older brother here, what an older brother brings to the church sometimes when they're not acting in the heart of the father is an older brother intends to discourage you and make you feel bad by presuming to know the motivation and intentions of your heart. So older brothers do so now, now the question is, like, if you look at the church historically, how do you handle an older brother? And it's usually have, you know, scream at them and leave them. 
all right? But in, the, in, the, in Jesus' dream for the church, and the power that's poured out on us by the Holy Spirit, and the price that's been purchased for us at the cross, all right, solidified at the resurrection, the empty tomb, all right, vindicated at the empty tomb, that, that it means that we have the power to operate with an Eliab, okay? And I already told you that Eliab's question is a statement. Why have you come down? With whom have you left a few sheep, okay? That's a statement and it's a put down. And then, he, then Eliab attacks David's greatest quality, his heart. I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, but when God says of David, now this is a man after my own heart, this is what an Eliab does. He takes the best quality of you, the most pure place in you, the, the most precious place in you, and he tries to contaminate it. The best thing about David is, is what the older brother is actually calling into question and as much as we want biblical community, we're going to have to do it and we're going to have to learn how to operate when this is in play. Here's, here's my advice when a, an alive or an older brother shows up in the community because I am no longer going to bow down and let them win. Amen? So Jesus is bigger than Eliab. Come on, right? Uh, here's, the, here's the advice, and here's where I get it. I get it from the scriptures. This is what David did, is David literally just turned away. He didn't turn away and leave his brother. He turned away from the influence of his voice. Look at verse 29. And, and David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? In verse 30, and he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way, and the people had answered him again as before. So he didn't leave his brother, he just turned away from the influence of his voice. I think so many of us, we, we've, had, we've, let people, we've let people's voices influence us and it's messed us up. You have to be very careful who you let yourself listen to. Uh, the, the most convincing people or the people that seem to be the, the most heated about what they're saying are not always the ones that are speaking from the Father's heart. Do you know that? All right, so you can't allow those who misunderstand you to define you. And David didn't, he just turned away, all right? So this is how, listen, I'm doing life with you. It doesn't feel good. I can't listen to your voice right now, at least in this season. Maybe the day will come where I can hear you. But for, for now, since you misunderstand me and you do not, uh, and you're speaking the opposite about me that is actually true of me, I am, I'm, I'm turning, I'm gonna talk to other people, all right? It's like, it's like the ancient version of speak to the hand, Kimosabi, all right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, anyway, so, like, so, the, um, so here's, so here's, so there's going to always be an older brother. Um, but then, then here's another one, and I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to knock, and this is my concern as I was prayerfully bringing this, uh, especially that older brothers are good when they're like Jesus. <laughs> and so are these next people when they're like Jesus. But I, I'm, I'm just going to say it like I have it written, is uh, we're going to have to deal with people known as realists. Have you ever talked to a realist? Uh, if you are a realist, they're probably your favorite people. Um, but if you're a dreamer, you probably dream of, you know, introducing them to something else very real, you know? <laughs> I don't know. I, I do. <laughs> I'm going to show you the realness of my knuckles, you know, and, or whatever you do. Like, it, it's like constantly, it's, uh, it's like a fight. You can't, you, can't see any, you can't say anything that defies the laws of physics because they're a realist, right? Um, so, um, the, uh, anyway, forgive me for the knuckle thing. I didn't mean that. <laughs> here's, here's what a realist does is a realist uses facts to tell you what you can't do and then, and then calls it wisdom. All right. Yeah. And then if you would, if you would dare challenge the wisdom just poured out by the, uh, realist, then, you know, just say, you know, you've got a lot to learn. You know, I'm going to bring your name to our discipleship group and we'll all pray for you. Um, a realist says things like, you know, uh, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Uh, I hate to be the one who poops in the punch bowl. Uh, I hate to be fill in the blank. Uh, and then is excited about the bad news and the poop that they just delivered. All right. Um, but actually, um, here's, here's what happens in, in verse. And I, I'm not talking about doing things out of order or, or without wisdom. I'm just saying that there's an upside down wisdom in the kingdom that's not like the world. And the church has sat at the feet of Harvard Business School for so long and then called it kingdom that we just don't know how to recognize it anymore. 
all right? So, but listen to this, verse, verse 32, um, it says, uh, you know, or verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and, and Saul, who's the king, sent for him. Uh, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him, meaning Goliath, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Now, this is an untrained, you know who David is, he's walking into Saul, who's the tallest guy in the, in the land, and he's the king, and Saul is an experienced warrior, and uh, so, so Saul's response to that is, is ding, 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 ding. That's not within the realm of reality. Look at verse 33. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth. Okay, now these are the facts. You're but a, but a, a youth. You're not able. You weigh as much of, as his arm. Like you don't know. He, he's been fighting longer than you've been alive. All right? Listen, let's just, let's just pay attention to the facts. And he has been a man of war from his youth. You're a youth. He's been a man of war from his youth. Listen, li- listen this, is, it's, it's, this is just mathematical. You can't do this. You can't do that. All right, here are the facts. You're young. Here are the facts. Goliath is not. He's experienced. Here's the facts. Um, you know, filling that. He's got a, hey, do you know how to use a sword? Abe's like, why? Didn't think about that. He was just talking bad about the one in whom I treasure and I'm willing to lay down my life for him as a small shepherd boy. You're the king. Why aren't you out there? You know, I, 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 listen, I'm willing. I'm willing. And so it's, it's like, I think for, for a realist, like, like looking at somebody that's got a heart like David, like a good heart that's willing to hit a battlefield in front of a giant, it's kind of like laying on a, on a surgeon's table who's never done anything, never been to schools, but has a, a great heart to see you whole. Like, you, you never do that. That's not wisdom. That's, that's ridiculousness. But here, in some cases, what God calls us to do is he calls us to do the impossible, the things that don't match with reality. <laughs> and both of these things exist in the community of believers. You got some people that, that dream and their head is constantly in the clouds and then they need people to say, okay, hold on, hold on, let's put a time frame to that. And you, get, you have some people that are constantly talking about time frames and, and you need someone to come along and say, hey, let's, let's, let's just burst this bubble and just see what happens and if we fail, we fail, but if we succeed, Jesus gets the glory, Amen. right? So, so here are the facts. David's young. Goliath is a trained warrior. Therefore, you are unable to fight him. That's what the king says. And we must see, though, that, that reality or realism was pointing in the opposite direction of one of the greatest triumphs in history. We must see that. Realism is pointing in the opposite direction of one of the greatest triumphs in the history of mankind. A teenage shepherd boy takes out a trained giant. So even in the body of Christ, there will, there will come those who will try to persuade you to walk in something other than the miracle that God has called you to walk in, or other than the victory that God has called you to walk in. And the question is not, um, the, the question is not, can it happen? The question is, is God calling it to happen? Um, I, here's, here's my advice on this, and it's what David does in this situation, because David still, uh, still treats Saul, who's, who's telling him not to do what we now know is, the, is one of the greatest things that's ever happened in history. He's, David still treats this man with dignity and respect, not anger and frustration. You know this? And here's what he does, though, is that he shares testimony and humility, We've been sharing a lot of testimonies lately. People's hands getting healed, ligaments being fixed, people getting saved, right? Uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Ed Gross prayed with a guy to receive Jesus. A lot of miracles, that's the greatest miracle of them all. Someone that was dead, spiritually speaking, is now very, in fact, alive, spiritually speaking, right? So we've been sharing these testimonies. But th- that is actually what David does. And David, look at this, in verse uh, 34 of 1 Samuel 17, but David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Okay, that's the testimony. Listen, I fought a lion and a bear, all right? I, 
here's, here's what, and so there, that is the testimony. And, and Paul now is like scratching his head. He's like, huh. <laughs> now your servant, look at verse 36. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine, meaning that he's someone outside of the covenant of God's people, Israel. Okay? He's someone that's not even walking the promises of God. Okay, your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. There's something about, like, like release a dreamer when they are aflame with the glory of God. Yeah. Yeah. When, they, when they cannot live seeing Jesus defamed. <laughs> And people put down, and the church not rising up to its calling, and they're talking like that, and they're talking like, I want to borrow $10 billion and build, you know, uh, a garden. I, I, I don't know, you know. But if they're talking like this, there's an uncircumcised Philistine speaking negatively about God, about God and his people. All I want to do is defend his honor. So you have to do what Saul did. And, 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 and David also, I missed this part, verse 37. David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Like our testimonies actually encourage us when we're facing giants. Oh, God who delivered me then will certainly deliver me now. And, so, and Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Listen, listen, I didn't, I, the, your testimony is now the facts. You know, your testimony is now the facts. Okay, I don't know how it'll happen. I just know that I, I best not keep you off the battlefield. All right, so listen, it's like so, sometimes when we're dealing, we're dealing with people and say like, th that dreamer isn't operating the facts and the, the dreamer just, just needs to come and say, but, but here's the facts. Like I operated not in the facts before and I've only ever seen God come through time and time and time and time again. When the lions came, I took them down, all right? That, that beats the odds, all right? When bears came, I did the same. Like I've only ever seen God come through. Why would he not come through now? Now, okay, mic drop, facts dropped, walk onto the field. Now, here's another thing. I'm not even going to be talking about the battle because we all know the battle. I just want to talk about one last thing that is going to threaten life on the hill and it's going to threaten the, the quality of our community. It's going to threaten our witness with people. But it's, I'm just calling it this. It's, a, it's out of date systems, all right? Out-of-date systems. Now, I'm not talking about styles. I'm not talking about if you, if you prefer an organ to a band or if you, if you like, you know, hymns to, you know, or I should say old hymns to these hymns. The songs that we're singing today, there's some hymns in there too. They're just written now. They're just not ancient. And, you know, it's, and the Bible doesn't say ancient hymns. It just says hymns, right? So I, I'm not talking about styles of, of church. I'm not talking, I'm talking about systems, the way that we categorize ministry, uh, ways that the Holy Spirit wants to open lids and break down walls and boxes. And uh, if you're getting nervous about the time, I am wrapping this up right now, I promise, all right? But an out-of-date system, here's what that is. It's in, it's in verse 38 and 39. It says, it says, after Saul said, go and the Lord be with you, um, it says, then Saul clothed David with, with his armor. Not David's armor. Uh, Saul clothed David with the king's armor his armor, and he put a helmet of bronze on his head. Did David walk in with a helmet of bronze? Did David wear a helmet of bronze when he fought the lion? But he put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. Did David have a coat of mail on when he fought the bear? It's just, it's not how David does it, okay? Look at verse 39, and David strapped his sword over his armor, may David strap his sword, meaning Saul's sword, over his armor, meaning now the armor, Saul's armor that he is now wearing. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. In other words, in other words, the training school that, that God put me through, O king. <laughs> I love how David never gets, even though, even though Saul was trying to give him a system that is not David's to operate in. I love that he's, he's still so kind. And, and, uh, and, 
And David says, listen, I did the honorable thing of trying to wear your system. I know that you have been trained to fight battles like this with mail and armor and helmets, and your sword's really nice, it's so shiny, okay? But this is just not how I roll. <laughs> and and the, the beautiful thing is, is in the church, God doesn't give us a system and say, this is how you take down giants. Like, you know, there's, there's basic things that all of us, no matter what kind of, whether you use a Mac or an Android or whatever you use, there's basic things like you need electricity. <laughs> it needs to be charged. Like there's basic biblical foundational things that you need. But as far as, as far as the operating system that you use, like God loves to be creative there. And God loves it. And here's, and the beauty of it is that, is that David actually has the courage and the understanding as a young boy to step out of someone else's system and into the one that God trained him in as a shepherd. Say, this is when giants come, like we don't take them down uh, on the shepherd field like you're trained to take them down on the battlefield. Uh, we, we, we use a staff and a sling. And I think that here's, I was getting some, some prayer counseling and the, uh, the person I was getting prayer counseling with, she says, Nathan, you need to ask Jesus for your sling back. It's like, well, what does that mean, my sling back? Well, this is why we're in First Samuel because you wanna talk about community. You know what a bad community is? is when whatever leader we're under or whatever group we're under, whatever, whatever system our denomination says we need to be running, um, steals our best weapons and, and makes everybody the same. This is how we do it here. This is how we do it here. And then every once in a while you get someone that's wild-hearted like David that actually has the heart of God and says, listen, I love your shiny sword and you've won a lot of battles with that and I will only honor you for that. But for me, if I could just take this off and I could go down to the stream, I get five stones. Because what I love to do to giants that are demonic in nature is I love to lodge these puppies in them. So that's how, that's how I do it. <laughs> With a lot of, I don't know why the word chutzpah is in there. What does that mean? It's just a <laughs> so it's wham. So he'll never see it coming. His eyes are too big. He's slow. You know, he'll be, he'll be, He'll be too annoyed at my size and too impressed by his to ever see this puppy coming. <laughs> it's just like, whoa, yeah, like, whoa. <laughs> so here's, here's, the, here's the, but guys, what I'm, what I'm trying to say here is, is some of the giants that God has put in community that have to be taken down, it's just going to look differently than maybe it ever has in the past, but God's gotta be on it and in it and all around it. And we've gotta celebrate some of these things. I've walked in this a little bit. And my, do you know that I know that I look, yeah, I know I look fresh out of college. I know I look just young and lean and gorgeous. I know that, I know, I know. But, but do you know that I have been a pastor for 22 years? You know, uh, you can't call me a, a young pastor anymore, all right? I, I, I like the sound of it, you know, uh, but I'm just not. I've seen battles that uh, I think the average man would have run from. <laughs> but, and I've always won, won them with my sling. Woo, man, I'm about to lose it on this one. <laughs> but there comes times when people try to hand you a sword and the best thing that you can do is reject the sword. And if they take it as rejection, they're just gonna have to. Yeah say, no, no, God's made me the pastor of the church and I use a sling. And Jesus, I want that back. I remember uh, many of us, we, we have had uh, other people's armor put on you and, and, and you, have, you have felt the, the weight of, of being in a community that doesn't let you be yourself. Um, and I know it's hard. I remember watching, I remember growing up in, in a denominational church with my mom, who my mom has, and has, has this, this aw all these awesome gifts. But in this denomination, like the, here's the system that she was put in. She was allowed to be the church secretary, whether she wanted to or not, she was allowed to. <laughs> it's not so healthy. Uh, she was allowed to play the piano. She didn't, so she was always looked down on. And then she was allowed to cook. Um, but, uh, and she was great at that. You know, she was great at that she, and she always did it very well. Uh, but I remember the day that my, my mom was kind of released to be her. 
and she got up, even in the midst of the weird system, and she does sign language. And she began to do sign language as somebody sang. And to say that the Holy Spirit moved is an understatement. I don't know if my mom's here, but yo mom, go girl. So like sometimes churches tell you, you can do these three things, but what you actually need to be in tune with is what God says you can do. <laughs> I remember for me, I'm a, some of you know this, some of you don't, but I used to be a very avid table tennis player. Um, and uh, I was nationally ranked. I'm not joking, I was nationally ranked. Not ranked high, but I was still ranked. I was a tournament, tournament player. There's a guy that comes uh, to Providence named Josiah Corbin. And, and he, uh, he's, he's from Nashville, and that explains a lot. Um, but uh, he tells me, he goes, Nathan, I used to be good when I was little. I can't wait to take you down. Josiah's one of my good friends, so I'm just picking on him. He and I have friendship bracelets, all right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but uh, I just told Josiah, I said, I'm so scared of how good you used to be when you were little. I said, I used to play in tournaments, my friend. And I remember, though, when I, uh, as a youth pastor, I used to do, since I was good at table tennis, that's one, that's one of my, uh, one of my, what do you, uh, my things, all right, one of my slings, uh, I used to put table tennis tournaments on. And I used to take my, my paddles, and I used, to, I used to work at the YMCA, and guys used to come in there. There's a, a ping pong table there. And guys used to come in, and I used to play them. And make a long story short, I, I, I beat them so severely that they came back every single day, and I kept beating them. They started bringing their, their friends, and they started bringing their dads, and they started bringing their uncles, and I just beat them all. <laughs> and it was fun. And do you know what I got to do as I'm beating them? Uh, as I got to share Jesus with them over a table. And one of those guys um, came that I would, I would beat, and one of those guys I really had a heart for, and I started taking him to, to play club ball. I know it is sad, I'm sorry. Uh, but I, I, I used to take him out to play club ball, and I used to just share Jesus with him because it was about an hour drive, and we used to just talk, and I ended up leading this, this kid to Jesus. And little did I know that it was just a few short years before he would pass away. Okay, what, what I'm saying is since they didn't teach me Table tennis ministry at Moody Bible Institute and Lancaster Bible College doesn't mean that it's not a sling that I've got. And anything that you're good at can be used in the kingdom to, to advance the gospel. And a lot of us need to get our slings back out, all right? Um, there's a, you know, I, I mentioned this before, but there's like one of the things, one of the systems is, is it, you know, there's, there's so much. I've gone to so many conferences where you're, you're being taught how to lead the church from non-Christians, from non-Christians. Because I'm successful in my business in the world, suddenly I am going to instruct spirit-filled adopted daughters and sons on how to lead the church after a God I don't know. And how this has been allowed to happen is wrong. But there's all this pressure then to be a CEO and to be a good businessman or woman. I'm just telling you, it's, it's, it's an out-of-date system. And we have to learn how to, how to love the people trapped in these things, but how to get our slings out to free them from these things. This is, so, so friends, I, I'm not saying that we, I'm not trying to give you new people to be angry at. Don't be, you know, we need to be angry. It's like, you know, revolt against Eliab's, revolt, you know, beat the system. Like this isn't, this isn't, you know, this isn't that. We're not taking down the man here, all right? But what I am saying is that if we're going to be a community of believers, we have to learn how to meet people where they are and not leave them, but want them and be with them and help them become more like Jesus as they do the same for us. So really what it comes down to when we're talking in the Bible about one another's, it, it, it comes down to bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Do you know that the Bible, how many times the Bible says this? It's actually pretty beautiful says it often, Ephesians chapter four, verse two, therefore, uh, or starting with verse one, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, just, just like, let's not skip over that for a moment, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. So Paul is writing this as a prisoner for the Lord, he says. Man, what a non-victimized posture. Hey, all this time that I have in my dungeon, you know, I'm just pouring out love on a paper. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna let God inspire his word to me. <laughs> just, you know what, I, I'm gonna urge you. What are you urging us from, your, from yourself, Paul? Well, yeah, let's find out. I, 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 there, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. <laughs> with all humility and gentleness, with patience, 
bearing with one another in love. That's what it looks like. You come up against an out-of-date system and someone in a realist that's trying to push it, and then he happens to be a big brother. He's all three of these weird things all wrapped up into one. And you know what you need? Is you need the Father's love and the Spirit's strength to bear with this man or woman and to not leave them because they're just not in a good spot. You bear with them. Bearing with means that someone can be on their worst day and you treat them like it's their best day. They, they can let you down and disappoint you in every single way possible, but they don't have to worry about losing you because you're family. It's bearing with, okay? Colossians chapter three, verse 12, and then I'm done. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion. Man, I'm tempted to preach on that, but compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Look at verse 13 now, bearing with one another. Have, have you ever underlined that in your Bibles? Ever. Has bearing with one another ever made your top 10 Bible verses? Have you ever taken a, a week to fast and pray over this one? Holy Spirit, I'm not bearing with others well. Work this in me. Work this in me. Work this in me, God. Work this in me. And here's, here's the thing, that bearing with is not easy. Like, we, we want a version of community that is like a 1950s sitcom. But, but the, the version of community that is in touch with reality, let's be real here for a moment, is sinful people coming together and becoming more like Jesus. And it's a horrid mess. But bearing with, Jesus says, how long am I to bear with you? But he doesn't leave. He said, this is difficult. You're being difficult. I'm with you. Let me model this. He gets the demon out. How about this one? Proverbs 17, 17. Let's, let bearing with happens in friendship. You know, you know, what, you know what shows a, a friend from a foe or a friend from an acquaintance? Bearing with. Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. A friend, if you're a friend, you will love at all times. When I'm acting like Eliab, the older brother, well, that's an all time. When I'm forcing you to operate in a system that I like, yeah, all times. If I'm your friend, loving you through it, all times, all times, all times. When I'm just hitting your dreams with my realism, especially then. It's just, I'm an all time friend. And that is what the community of Christ is supposed to look like to a messed up world. Now, do you know a pandemic that, that's worse than COVID or worse than the Black Plague? You know, if you study medieval times, you hear the Black Plague crazy, it takes you out in five hours. But you know what a, a, a pandemic that's worse than both of those put together is the pandemic of loneliness. <laughs> that things like social media and the, the cultural context we find ourselves in the, the people are lonely because they've been hurt so badly. They've been, it's, been, it's been illegal for them to fail around others because the friendship that we know is based on performance. It's the religious spirit that, that we make look Christian, but it's not. It's demonic in nature. And so the, the world is, is, we say, hey, take your mask off. Well, if we tell people to take their mask off, we better have a culture that's ready to bear with them. Yeah. <laughs> Take your mask off. We, we use that to people's shame. Well, I did twice. <laughs> Look what you did to me. Well, so what the church needs is a whole lot of humility and a whole lot of repentance and a whole lot of saying I wasn't a friend at all times and a whole lot of asking the Holy Spirit to produce in us a bearing with one another's stuff. And that's the kind of church I want to be a part of because listen, you're gonna have to bear with me. I'm gonna get it wrong. And listen, I'm going to have to bear with you. But I like it, and I want to be your pastor, even though I have to bear with you. And I, that's how it's supposed to be. And I really believe that if, if, we, if we bear with one another, the, the lid comes off God's dreams. Not, not that there's, you know, you, you know, it's not a perfectly theological illustration, but you know what I mean, right? So, like, if the church is, is having a civil war, you know, there's only so much when, when the church starts to unify and starts bearing with one another, like we start to really realize the dreams that God has for the church. And I, I, I want to be the kind of church that sees people getting saved in the droves all the time. I want a baptismal that, that we have to like just have in the foyer. 
and we're just baptizing people, and we're just, and you're leading people to Jesus, not just up here, but you're leading people to Jesus that you never thought would ever come at your workplace, in your neighborhoods, and you're on fire with it. This is, this is the church, I want, I want to see the kind of church that, that, you've, that were people that have always said, I'm just not a dancer, begin to dance. And people that have always said, the flaggers are strange, join the ranks of the strange. I just want to, like, we are so exuberant with the goodness and greatness and power and majesty of God that suddenly we're not intimidated by anything else. And that we're just, we're just like, whew, Jesus, whatever you want to do in me, turn me loose. Because you know what? The culture that I'm in bears with anything that I do wrong. <laughs> the worst thing that we can do is let somebody know how uncomfortable we felt when they laid on the ground for 20 minutes. No, like whether that was right or wrong, which what is unbiblical about that? <laughs> what is like all of the elders in heaven cast their crowns at Jesus' feet and go face down. <laughs> so that so it's just like it's actually like like many times our our supposed stands for good theology are actually just exposing our bad theology. And so, so we've got to be a church, though, that if somebody shares something on their heart and they were off, if they had a prophetic word and they were just off, or you thought they were off, and tomorrow you find out they were actually spot on, or something, but there is a bearing with here that has to happen, and that, my friends, is going to bring revival. Who wants that? Anybody? All right. So let's pray for this right now. So Father, I just, I just lift up this church to you. And God, I, I know that it's not gonna be easy to, to do life together and to operate in community, but, but we say this as much as we can right now. This is what we want. Your dream looks so much more attractive than our dreams. And we've dreamt of what we thought the church should be for years now. We've been taught to do that. But Jesus, your dreams of just a church united that shows the world what you're like. Just a Jesus church that loves one another, bears with one another, has patience for one another, helps one another, builds one another up. That's the kind of church we want to be a part of. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. Do whatever you have to do to sync our hearts up with your dream. God, I know that there's giant killers in this house and they've been held back. People that, that want to use their sling, but they've been told only what they can't do. Maybe not here, maybe there maybe somewhere else. But God, I just pray that you begin to release people to love and you release people to pick their slings back up and that, that the community of believers would be transformed and changed as a result. So I ask that and pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org. 